0: We are in our last week of looking at idols. Next week is our last week in the series, but next week we're going to look at Jesus and see how great and glorious our Savior is and how that He just completely demolishes any idol that we want in our heart. But today we look at the very last idol uh, in this series. Over the past couple of weeks we've, we've said that an idol is anything that we love more than God, trust more than God, and obey more than God. And and so we've looked at several different things. We've looked at, of course, possessions and money, but we've also looked at the pleasures of this world. We've looked at success. We've looked at careers. We've looked at love. All of those can become an idol as we trust them more than God, love them more than God, and obey them more than our God. Today we look at this theme called the danger of us versus them. How in the world does this fit into idolatry? Uh, That's what we're going to talk about today, and it's, it's an important question to ask because as we look at our country, as we look at the world we live in, it's very much us versus them in just about every aspect of life. We are divided along political lines. We're divided along religious lines. We are divided along gender lines, economic lines, We're divided along all different kinds of lines into us versus them. What's behind it is the question. And how does God take care of this problem and remove this idol from our heart so that unity can happen? When God removes this idol from our heart, it will bring unity, not just within our group, but we can then be agents of change in this world to bring unity now and forever. And so to look at this topic, we're going to look at Jonah chapter 4. Let me give you some context. Jonah is an Old Testament prophet. Uh, He lived around 750 B.C., and he was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. Israel was experiencing uh, what's called a Silver Age. It wasn't quite their golden age, but it was pretty good. Jeroboam II was on the throne, and and God granted economic bliss. Uh, Things were good. Uh, He granted a strong military. Their their borders were becoming established, and Jonah was sent to preach God's word. And here's what we hear uh, about Jonah in 2 Kings 14.25. Uh, talking about Jeroboam II, he was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Libo to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath, Hefer. Re- uh, Jeroboam II did what? He built the wall. Why? Because the word of the Lord came through Jonah to build the boundaries, build the wall, Of Israel to keep the Assyrians out. The Assyrians were the big bad country of the time. They were the terrorist group that terrorized every other nation. If they came in and attacked you, you were thankful if they just killed you, because that wasn't their normal. Their normal was to come in and torture. And if you were a woman, you can guess what that meant for you. And so if they came in and just demolished you and took you out and killed you right away, it was merciful. This was a terrorist organization. This was an ungodly group of people. And so Jonah had to love the fact that God through him said, build the wall. Keep them out. Keep your nation safe. And that was the word of the Lord through Jonah. So you can imagine how shocked Jonah would be when in Jonah chapter 1, God comes to him and says, Hey, Jonah, go to Nineveh, Assyria's capital city, and preach to them. What? To them? I don't think so. And in Jonah chapter 1, Jonah flees. He goes on the run. He runs as far west as he possibly can. He hops on a boat, and he starts going. And as the boat is taking off, all of a sudden a huge storm happens. And finally it's decided, you know what we have to do? These sailors say, we have to throw this guy overboard. He's the cause of all this. So they throw Jonah overboard into the sea where he gets swallowed by this huge fish. And in Jonah chapter 2, he's in the belly of a fish for three days where he has time to think about what he wants to do. And if you're sitting there thinking, what? This guy gets swallowed by a fish and he lives in the belly of a fish for three days? You're telling me this is legit? That, that's humanly impossible. You're right. <laughs> it is. From a human standpoint, it's humanly impossible. But God can do the impossible and keeps Jonah alive and gives him time to think and work on his heart. Jonah repents and realizes that salvation is from the Lord. So the fish vomits Jonah out on the land. And in chapter 3, he goes to Nineveh and he preaches. Forty days. And God's going to destroy this city. Forty days. And do you remember what happens? The Ninevites repent. The big, bad Assyrians repent. They put on sackcloth and put ashes on their head to show the sorrow that is in their heart, and they repent. What an amazing win, right? This would be a mountaintop experience for a prophet of God, And yet when we turn to Jonah chapter 4, we hear a shockingly different account. Here's what we're told. Jonah chapter 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. Tarshish, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Again, this should be one of the greatest days in Jonah's life. A hundred and twenty thousand Ninevites repented, we're told, at the, end of, at the end of the chapter. All the way up to the king. And yet, Jonah's response? Anger. Why? Because God is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. And it's this aspect of God that Jonah is so upset about. See, it was good for Jonah and his people, but not good for them. So Jonah gets angry. And here's what we're told. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Jonah's so upset, he basically says, I wish I was dead. Lord, if this is how you're going to treat them, take my life. I don't want to be part of this world anymore. It's over. If you're going to be like this to those Ninevites. But God doesn't kill him. Instead, what happens, Jonah goes outside the city and he sits down, and look it, he sat in, it, in the shade of the shelter and waited to see what would happen to the city. What's he hoping? What's he praying? Maybe God will change his mind. Maybe God will send fire down from heaven and destroy the city, and I want a, a front seat view. What is wrong with this guy? This is a prophet of God. Who knows that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, who relents from sending calamity, and yet he's hoping and praying that those people over there are destroyed. His problem is he has this us versus them mindset, isn't it? Us, worthy the Israelites, we are God's chosen people, Jonah would say. We deserve God's grace and compassionate. They don't. We are morally superior to those ungodly Assyrians. We have been better than them. We are the good guys. They are the enemies. And what does Jonah find as his idol? Nationalism and religious tradition. It's not God. If he was following God, he would rejoice because God's kind and compassionate, gracious. Instead, it's religion versus religion. It's nation versus nation. And what's he find in his nation? What's he find in his religion? He finds his identity. He finds his meaning in life. And it's there that he trusts for righteousness. I am right with God, Jonah would say. Why? Because I'm an Israelite? And because of my religious tradition, he's trusting in those for righteousness, to be right with God. You see, what Jonah didn't realize was a couple things. First point this morning, all people were created for God. This is what Jonah failed to realize. It didn't matter if it, if it was a Ninevite, it didn't matter if it was an Israelite. It didn't matter if it was an Egyptian, a Philistine. It didn't matter if it was an Amalekite. It didn't matter if they were a Babylonian. God created all people for himself. In, in Acts chapter 17, the apostle Paul uh, was walking around Athens, and he tells them about an unknown God, which is the God of the world. And he says, from one man, from one man and one woman, God created all nations on earth for the same purpose to have a relationship with him and that's true today it doesn't matter if you're churched or unchurched it doesn't matter if you're republican or democrat it doesn't doesn't matter if you're an American or if you're from Africa or China or South America God created all people for himself It doesn't matter if you're vaxxed or unvaxxed, masked or unmasked. God created you and them for him. He created all people to have a relationship with himself, and this is what Jonah failed to realize. But Jonah also failed to realize your next point. All people have sinned and earned death. God created all people to have a relationship with himself. And all people, it doesn't matter who we are, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. The Ninevites sinned and fell short. Jonah himself had sinned and fell short of the glory of God. And in Romans chapter 6, we are told that the wages of sin is death. What have we earned for sin? What has everyone in this world earned for their sin? Death. Just like we earn our paychecks, we have earned from God death. Because we lack the righteousness that God requires. And deep down, we know it. Deep down, Jonah knew it. He knew that he wasn't right with God. We may not know it up here, but we know it in our subconscious that something's not right. I'm missing something. And so where do we look to find righteousness? It's in the groups that we align ourselves with. It's in the fact that I'm a churched person. That's why I'm right with God. It's the fact that I hold this belief that I'm right with God. I'm morally superior to them because of well, I'm part of this group. And what ends up happening is our pride wraps around that group and says, I'm standing strong in God's grace because I'm part of this group. They aren't because look what they believe. Look what, who they are. Look what they're doing. But me, well, look at me. And we think that it brings righteousness and we trust in these things bring us right with god but let's do some math this morning if you're not a math person don't worry neither am i so it's not too hard i'm gonna give you all the answers anyways (laughs) but uh what would be a good day of sin if at the end of the day you tallied up your sins what would you consider a good day three remember sin is anything we think that is against god's word speak or do so three's pretty good. I think three's actually probably getting in like Mother Teresa territory. Uh, at the end of the day, if you can chalk up three to your name, I'd feel pretty good about that. But over a year, that's roughly Or uh, over a year, that's roughly eleven hundred cents. Over eighty years, eighty-six thousand seven hundred cents. And that's just if you did three a day for your entire life. And then you stand before God. And God says, why should I let you into heaven? You need to be perfect. Well, God, I don't know if you know this, but I was a strong Republican. (laughs) I stood on the word of God. Well, God, I don't know if you know it, but I was a strong Democrat, and we loved people and wanted people to be fed, and and we cared about others. I don't know if, if you know that God. Well, God, I don't know if you know it, but I listened to science, and I loved others by being vaxxed and masked up. I don't know if you know it, but I'm kind of a loving person. I don't know if you know it, God, but I didn't let anyone inject me with anything. I trusted the immune system that you put in me. I don't know if you know it, but I trusted you pretty, a, a lot in my life. God, I don't know if you know it, but I was churched. went to church every Sunday. Did you know that? I was in your house every weekend. God, did you know that I wasn't part of those hypocrites that went to church? (laughs) They went to church every weekend and yet they didn't live like, like one of your children at all. God, I don't know if you know it, but I'm part of America where we stand on your word. Our country was founded on God's word. We are Christian. God, I don't know if you know it, but I'm not part of those stuck-up Americans. (laughs) And God looks and he says, So what? How are any of these groups going to pay for your 86,700 sins? You have fallen short of my glory. And just because you're part of that group doesn't mean that these sins are taken care of. How do you expect me to let you in when you have at least 86,700 sins? Jonah, why should I let you into heaven with 86,700 sins? Well, God, it's because they have a million. Okay, but we're not talking about them. We're talking about you, Jonah. You have 86,700 sins and probably more. Why should I let you into heaven? What Jonah failed to realize, and what we often fail to realize, is that God created all people for himself. And no matter who we are, we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have more than 86,700 sins. And our group that we get so prideful over and we trust to to make us right with God, it can't take care of those 86,700 sins. There's one more truth that God wanted to nail home to Jonah. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their their right hand from their left, and also many animals? God doesn't come and discipline Jonah. He doesn't come and yell at Jonah. What does he do for Jonah? He provides an object lesson. The object lesson is this plant that God grows up overnight and it gives shade to Jonah and Jonah loved it. And it, the next day, the plant was gone. And Jonah's upset about it. And God says, do you have right, a, a right to be upset? You didn't plant this thing. You didn't grow this thing. You didn't even, you didn't even care for it. You were the beneficiary of this leafy plant and now it's dead and gone and you're upset. Jonah, shouldn't I be concerned for these Ninevites when I care for them? When I watch them grow up? When the Bible says he knits people together in their mother's womb. Should I not be concerned for them when I created them for myself? Of course the answer is yes. See what Jonah needed to realize is your last point. God wants all people to be saved. God wants every single person to be saved, the Bible says. And come to a knowledge of the truth. What's the truth? Point number 1. God wants or God created all people for himself. Point number 2, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's what Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What what have we earned for our sin? Death. What does God give us as a free gift? Eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord an eternal relationship with Him that will never end. What is the gift? The gift is His Son, Jesus, who took all 86,700 of your sins onto His shoulders, and He went to the cross. Through Him, we have forgiveness. Through Him, we have been declared righteous. Through Him and Him alone are those sins removed from us. What those groups cannot do, Jesus can, did, and did do at the cross. Forgiving you your sins. The gift of God is righteousness for you through Jesus. Not only has he removed your sin, he's made you righteous in his sight because Jesus never sinned once. Not once. And so God gives you his credit for his righteousness. Something that the group that we tend to go to cannot do. We're looking to be to be made right. We're looking to feel whole. We're looking to feel like there's nothing between us and God. It's only through Jesus, perfect life, that we can look at God and say, "I'm right with you because of Jesus." And it's a complete gift from God. Through Jesus, the gift of eternal life comes through the resurrection. Where death will no longer separate you from an eternal relationship with your God because he rose he will raise you to life one day where you will live with God in a gift of eternal life of heaven forever. God created all people. God created you to have a relationship with him. We sin and fall short, and what does Jesus do? He gives us the gift of eternal life, an eternal relationship with God in heaven forever. And it's not just for you and me. It's all people. It doesn't matter who you are It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your gender, your political party. It doesn't matter the country you're from. God created you for himself. And he's assured that relationship through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Do you see what this does to our pride? It demolishes it. Because there's really only two groups, isn't there? Saved and unsaved. And those who are saved... Haven't done anything to earn or deserve it. It's a gift of God. Really, it's it's those who know Jesus and those who don't know Jesus. Those are the two groups, and we want others to know Jesus because Jesus has won eternal life for all people. And as our pride gets killed, so to speak, and we find our righteousness in Jesus, we don't have to be morally superior to others. We can cling to our Savior Jesus, and that allows us to love others. It breaks the division and brings unity. It starts with you and me. If we want to break this us-versus-them mindset, not just now but forever, it starts with us as we realize all people are sinful, all people have fallen short, but all have been justified through our Savior Jesus Christ, and He and He alone has brought forgiveness of sins and life eternal, and it's a gift something that isn't earned or deserved. It's given by God to you and me. When we break this idol, unity is had. God is glorified. And then we can stand and we can say, yes, it is a gift of God. We can stand and we can say, Jesus, you are on the throne of my heart. I stand in the forgiveness of sins and life eternal. May God be praised as we do that this week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise and thank you for your son, Jesus. Uh, You created us for yourself, and we sinned, sometimes intentionally, sometimes because we just fall short of your glory. But you have given us the gift of eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord, and it's not just a place we go to, but it's a relationship that we have with you forever. And it was won for us through your son, our Savior, Jesus. We thank you for the gift. We ask that you humble us uh, in a good way, that we may look to you and cling to Jesus now and forever. Uh, Help us to be uh, agents of unity and not division because we know that all people are sinful and all people have been justified through our Savior Jesus. Help us to tell others about Jesus. Help us to spread this message uh, because it is a free gift that he's won for us. We ask you to bless us, continue to watch over us now and forever until that day when we are face-to-face with you and join that relationship that you created us uh, to have from the beginning. In your name we pray. Amen.